Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, January 4th. We begin with a look at the future of COVID variants from Delta to now Omicron. Will we see more variants of concern before the end of the pandemic? We discuss with Dr. Ben Krishna, a researcher with a specialization in immunology and virology from the University of Cambridge. Next, it's our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. Mercedes brings us details of her year-end interview with Governor-General Mary Simon. Omicron has derailed the cruise industry once again, so what does this mean moving forward in an industry that's been hit hard for the better part of two years? We get some insight from the travel lady, Leslie Cater. And finally, you've set some goals for yourself in 2022. Now what? We get some advice on how to stick to your resolution from author, speaker, and entrepreneur coach, Doug Vermeeren. Could Omicron be the last variant of concern with insight into what the future could look like for COVID-19 in the battle in the pandemic? We're joined this morning by Ben Krishna, postdoctoral researcher, immunology and uh, virology, University of Cambridge. Good morning to you, Ben. Good morning and thank you for having me on. Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate it. Now, you recently uh, penned an article for The Conversation UK Uh, You say that Omicron may not be the last variant, but it may be the last variant of concern. Can can you explain the difference to us, uh, Dr. Krishna? Yeah, absolutely. So I just wanted to say that um, I woke up this morning with a sore throat and a headache, and um, I think I might actually have Omicron myself. So I'm very sorry if I sound a little bit out of breath, but um, this variant really is getting everywhere now. Um, So um, the Omicron variant um, sprung up from um, uh, uh, South Africa a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And as the pandemic's been going on, the virus has been evolving to get better at spreading from human to human, which is exactly what a biologist or virologist would expect to see. Um, So I'd just like to start off by saying that Omicron in itself is not good news. It Mm -hmm. seems to be the variant that spreads the best between people. And of course, if lots of people get Omicron at the same time and lots of people end up in um, hospitals with severe illness at the same time, that's a real problem for healthcare services. So I'm not saying anything about the short term, but what I'm thinking is the medium term to the long term. And when you look at that, what you notice is that lots of people have now been vaccinated across the world. Um, I think last year we gave out something like one bi- uh, 9 billion vaccines globally, mm-hmm. which is just an incredible number of vaccines. Um, and people who are vaccinated are a lot less likely to get severe illness. Um, on top of that, when you look at Omicron, although it's better at spreading, it seems to have got better at replicating in the throat and less good at replicating the lungs. And that seems to mean that it has less severe symptoms for most people overall. And so those are two pieces of good news, which suggests that in the long term, this virus is getting less severe, at least for most people. Mm-hmm. And um, what I was thinking when I penned that article was that there are four coronaviruses that we know of which are endemic in the population. So what that means is that they're just spreading through the population all the time, People get these viruses, it's like a common cold, Um, you develop immunity, you get rid of the virus, and then the virus slowly mutates over time and you get infected again later on, and it's no big deal. And it's starting to look like with Omicron that this is where the COVID-19 virus SARS-CoV-2 is going. 
So does this mean, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a layperson here, uh, Dr. Krishna. Sure. I work on the radio. I don't work in, you know, in, in the science field <laughs> like you do. Could this mean that because it's so widespread, if everybody gets a piece of this or if everybody gets Omicron, that it essentially renders it, I guess, less, I don't know how to explain it. Could this mark the end of the pandemic, seeing such a widespread variant? Yeah, so, yeah, lots of people get infected with Omicron. They will develop immunity to Omicron. And then what's going to happen with Omicron is it's going to evolve. It's going to pick up new mutations. Um, It may pick up mutations to make it better at spreading. But whatever happens, it will pick up other mutations, and that will allow it to reinfect people in the future. But what we'll probably see is that reinfection is just not that severe. And so over time, people, although there will continue to be more variants, the the public probably won't have to think about these variants of concern anymore because it will just go through the population and it won't be a big deal anymore. Um, I should say that's kind of my personal opinion, obviously, Mm -hmm. This is predicting the future. My One of my best friends is also a scientist. She thinks there's going to be one or two more variants of concern before we're done. One of my other friends thinks that it might, there might be a few more. But for the most part, we're generally thinking that we're seeing an end game now in the long term as to what's going to happen with this virus. Dr. Krishna, it's interesting because you say forecasting mm-hmm. and, and you, know, you can congregate with your peers and, and look at the latest research by different you know, uh, the conglomerates across the globe. But I'm wondering how much yeah. can we take from something that happened 100, 403 years ago back in the Spanish flu? Do you take mm. much from the pattern that happened before we saw that move from pandemic to endemic? Um, yes. I mean, th- there's, a, there's a sort of um, hypothesis in virology that pandemic viruses either die out or they become endemic. And when they become endemic, they just don't have severe symptoms anymore. And that's kind of what we assume has happened with these four other coronaviruses that are around. Um, You can use genetic analysis to get an idea of when that coronavirus jumped from animals into the human population. And you're right. Um, There was a coronavirus that we think probably jumped into humans in the 1890s or about, you know, 100 years ago. And that one's now endemic. People get it all the time. Nobody even notices it. And so it seems at least reasonable to assume that SARS-CoV-2 will do the same thing. When you you say reasonable, but I'm wondering, you know, because the last one happened 100 years ago, now we're seeing mm-hmm. what we're in with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Is it safe mm-hmm. to assume that we, we can see such a gap or could we see more frequencies of these uh, species barrier jumping viruses? Oh, oh, I absolutely think there's going to be more cases of coronaviruses jumping across animals and into humans. I mean, um, I'm sure you remember the SARS outbreak in 2003. That was a coronavirus. Um, there's also outbreaks of MERS, which is at least in respiratory syndrome virus. That There've been outbreaks of that in, I think, 2012 and 2015. And in all of these cases, these are situations where humans have come into contact with animals um, and the virus has just managed to jump from the animals into humans. And really, at that point, it's just a question of whether these viruses... Um, have the ability to spread from human to human and also how likely they are to cause um, serious symptoms in humans. And obviously there's more humans on the planet now. We tend to come into contact with animals all the time. You have to think about things like farming, things like the wild animal trade, um, development in developing countries where you build new sources. Like um, I think in the case of um, the Ebola outbreak in 2014, um, that was a case of humans encroaching on bats um, habitats, and that's probably why um, that outbreak occurs. And so, in the future, if we want to prevent more pandemics, we need to think about 
how viruses jump from animals to humans. We need to think about the way we interact with animals and their environment. Dr. Christian, we've got about 45 seconds left, but I want to throw this at you sure. here because, and I know that there's a school of thought that, you know, we might as well all just get the coronavirus and that will put the, the brakes on this. Um, and those people, particularly if you're an anti-masker, you might t- take this approach. What are your thoughts on that idea at this stage in the pandemic that, you know what, we should live our lives because we're all going to get this anyway? Um, So I think, first of all, if you can get vaccinated, you really should. The evidence out there is very strong that vaccination reduces your likelihood of getting a severe illness. Um, I also think that it's 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 not a responsible idea to go out and try and get this virus. Like there's still a risk that you could end up in a hospital. I, I have a very good friend whose father suffered a stroke and they went into hospital recently and the hospital was just absolutely full of people suffering from COVID-19 and you just don't want to be in that situation right now. So I really think that if you can, you've got to keep your mask on for as long as possible. Um, I know it sucks, but like try to distance yourself from other people for, for a little bit longer. But I'm thinking medium to long term, this will stop being a problem. So it really is, these these are short term issues um, and we really just need to stick together for a little bit longer um, and hopefully this pandemic will um, eventually end absolutely fingers crossed thank you so much for your time dr krishna we appreciate it thank you for having me on thank you thank you that's uh dr ben krishna postdoctoral researcher immunology and virology university of cambridge well this week on the west block host mercedes stevenson sat down with governor general mary simon for a year-end interview with details on this and all the news happening from coast to coast, we're joined by Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Happy New Year. Good. Happy New Year back at you. So uh, in your interview with Governor General Mary Simon, uh, obviously a huge uh, point of the discussion, reconciliation. What does what uh, the governor believe is the path forward toward reconciliation for Canadians? Well, it's something that that she would really like to see accelerated um, and that she believes the news we've received about um, the unmarked graves with residential schools this summer was was a turning point for a lot of Canadians in terms of realizing what has happened to Indigenous Canadians in the past, the things uh, that the Canadian government and the Crown have inflicted on those people and that you know this is this is something she thinks all Canadians have to engage in it's not just about in her opinion indigenous Canadians um, finding reconciliation with the government it's about everybody understanding what happened and as she put it um, I thought really well in it being about respect and compassion and understanding for each other and trying to get to know each other um, and, and that with that when you get to know somebody comes an understanding of who they are um, and the things that they have experienced and that's why she believes that it, it is not just sort of a government to indigenous people initiative but it's something for all Canadians to engage in and, and to come together around rather than to see it as something that's divisive. And as far as rebuilding those bridges, so to speak, and, and the government's role within that, as you say, not just government and Indigenous peoples, but does she? Does it sound like she has some faith that this can be done after the damage that we've seen over the past a, a year or so? She's very optimistic about it because she thinks that this is something that sort of, I don't want to say having a moment because that sounds very flip, 
and it, it has to be obviously about more one moment, but that it is at the forefront of the public consciousness in a way that it hasn't been in the past. Um, and she thinks it's very important to seize on that moment and, and to also look at um, the deeper things that need to change to have true reconciliation, because you can change um, what happens in the future, you cannot change the past. You have to come to terms with it and find ways to move forward. You have to find ways to ask for forgiveness and, and to be forgiven. And she talks about those things, but she really focuses on education. Um, for example, there are a lot of communities in the North where if you are a student who would like to go to high school, you have to actually leave your family and go quite far away to go to high school. That's a pretty difficult choice for a very young person. And she talked about how close-knit uh, many of these Indigenous communities and families are. And so at a very young age, to have to make the choice to leave that uh, without a support system is a difficult one. So the need for there to be more equitable access um, to education in these remote communities and finding ways to do that. She talked about even having uh, an Indigenous university up in the north. Uh, that people could go to instead of having to travel so far south. One of the things that sort of stood out to me, Andy, is that she talked about Canada in terms of Northerners and Southerners. Mm. I've always thought, I guess as a Southerner, right, East-West. But it was such an interesting perspective for her to say, I am a Northerner, but I live as a Southerner, uh, and to share that perspective from her of seeing the country as North and South rather than East and West. Obviously, the position of uh, Governor General in our country over the past, uh, you know, Recent times, it, it's it's somewhat been tarnished. We've we've got now Mary Simon in this role, and already hearing some of the you know words and stances she has. I've always thought of the governor general position as kind of just this honorary title or somebody who just kind of you know shows up at meetings. Do you think? And again, that's that's my opinion. Do you think we're going to see much more from Mary Simon than we've seen from previous governor generals? It sounds like she has quite an ambitious. You know, uh, I guess agenda ahead for her. But do you think we're going to see much more of her rolling up her sleeves and getting things done? I think she's certainly not afraid to do that, and um, she's not somebody who wants a political role at all. Mm. Um, but she, when she talked about reconciliation, and I thought also when she talked about mental health, which is a huge emphasis for her, she's not just saying, "Oh, you know, mental health is important, and we should talk about it, and we should do more." She was very specific about where there are holes in the mental health care system in Canada, and how significant that's been in the pandemic, and the focus on physical health um, can come at the expense of mental health, and that that has to be dealt with too. Those are sort of more, um, I think, forward positions than I've seen some past governor generals take who I've interviewed. Uh, I think she's very interested in trying to bring people together in trying to make the country a better place. She's certainly someone who has a long history of being fearless and standing up to very powerful people. As the governor general, you know, she is there as a figurehead per se, but she has a lot of influence and a lot of people respect that office. So she has the opportunity, I think, to reach out and to make people perhaps think differently or to lead initiatives um, in, in ways that politicians politicians can't because she's not tarnished by that whole right-left, what's your agenda here? Mm -hmm. Um, She's there to serve, and she's there to serve in an apolitical role. And, you know, it's kind of hard to get promoted to anything higher than governor general afterwards. Um, So I think that she's very committed to it. And and she said something interesting that her grandmother, if she was here when I asked her, she was very close to her grandmother, what advice would she have? Uh, And she said there's an uh, inuktitut word um, that doesn't really translate to English, but it has to do with responsibility and commitment and enduring in the face of difficulty and that that's really how she sees this role that she has a responsibility and a commitment to help people all right uh, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, COVID 19 we've been lasered in on alberta and obviously 
Beginning yesterday, our COVID isolation requirements, only five days announced by Health Minister Jason Copping. And uh, we had 4,000 active cases late last week. So again, laser focused on Alberta. But there's been a lot going on in Ontario past 24 hours plus. Tell us about the latest orders uh, for new restrictions in Ontario and what Doug, Doug Ford had to say yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say we're going back into uh, a lockdown, but it's it's a lot of closures. Um, so, for example, as of tomorrow, there will be no in-restaurant dining in Ontario. So we had gone down to 50% capacity. We are now going down to zero. It will be takeout only. Uh, schools are going to be closed again uh, and kids learning from home. Um, gyms shut down. Cinemas shut down. Personal care services like hair and nails, those things will be allowed to remain open, but at far less capacity. Um, so it is pretty significant restrictions that are coming back in as of tomorrow in Ontario. Um, they say this is they're trying to do a circuit breaker. They're trying to shut it down. Um, you can imagine as well the, the understanding that there are a tremendous number of cases. When you look at the chart, it's just you know, spiking. Uh, but there's a lot of frustration too, especially from parents who I talk to. Um, I don't have children. Lots of my colleagues and friends and, you know, viewers do. And trying to balance yet again the working full time from home with small children who you're supposed to be somehow doing grade three, you know, on a computer with in Google Classroom is really, really tough. So I think it's, it's going to be a tough day for a lot of Ontarians tomorrow. Interesting times, and we'll see if that circuit breaker works as time marches on. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Mercedes. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. And Omicron has derailed the cruise line industry yet again. What does the future look like for the industry? And what do you need to know before booking a cruise line a cruise in 2022? With insight into the future of travel, we turn to our friend Leslie Cater, the travel lady. Good morning to you, Leslie. Hi, good morning, Andy. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us this morning. And it's interesting because the cruise line was kicked hard at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We watched all these ships being docked. And, and now here we are again with some questions. So I'm wondering, and I, and I mentioned when I teased you coming up, Leslie, that yeah. to me, cruises aren't the kind of thing you book for a weekend or two from now. You're booking into the future. So for people looking mm-hmm. at this, booking three, four, six months or even a year out, what do we need to know? Yeah, that's true. Something like a cruise generally tends to be uh, well planned ahead. Uh, at the moment, bookings for 2022 are strong. We have had some cancellations for the first couple of months of the year. People still not being quite sure. Um, But what you need to consider as well is look at whatever guarantees the cruise line might be offering. Some of the cruise lines, such as the Royal Caribbean Group, are offering uh, a sail with confidence, or cruise with confidence, they call it, where they take care of you. If you get COVID, they take care of uh, medical costs, quarantine, getting you back home. Now, that only goes up for cruises up till the end of April. So whether it'll be extended, we don't know. Um, Another good thing is that there is travel insurance you can take now for a cruise, which is something quite new where you can cover yourself for uh, COVID-related expenses on that as well, medical. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you you really need to read through the rules and, and have someone holding your hand on this. 
And it does change all the time. And it was interesting because, I mean, I think you had a lot of promise when we started to see the cruise lines come back. Uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, it's interesting because you know these things, and that's why we want to talk to a travel agent and not just book something online, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, that's right. Uh, you know, the cruise lines did take a, a bad PR hit at the beginning of COVID, and they did start coming back halfway through the year. And they're now showing that with some of the statistics, the Cruise Line Association has said that on a cruise, you've got 33% lower uh, COVID cases than on shore. So really, you know, the important thing to remember is that the cruise line controls the environment. They control the um, hygiene, the air filtration, everything, where you're not going to get that on a land vacation with a hotel and going out to restaurants. Are you seeing some of the cruise line companies doing it better than the others? You mentioned that, you know, some are offering that kind of like a, we'll take care of you 100%. Are are some winning this game in this new world? I think uh, we've had some very positive uh, feedback. I've actually got a friend of mine who flew down to do a Windstar cruise out of St. Martin. And when she got to the pier even though she had a negative PCR test, she tested positive. So they couldn't let her on the ship. So what they did was they had another ship docked there where they put her into there, gave her a suite, and she's quarantining there and to no ex- at no expense to her. And they refunded her the whole cost of her cruise. Ooh. And like she said, it wasn't their fault. She didn't even get COVID on the cruise. She must have got it in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it, you have to really look at the big picture with this and see where it's all coming from. And we know now that quarantine periods are getting shorter. Mm-hmm. We know now that Omicron is milder, although more contagious. So I think it's going to be interesting the next few weeks to see how this pans out with the numbers and with the effectiveness of the booster shots. Especially with something that, you know, people book months, if not a year in advance of something like mm-hmm. cruises. So, so mm-hmm. many questions, and we appreciate the answers you can provide this morning, Leslie. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Have a good week. You too. That is The Travel Lady, Leslie Cater. You can find her online at thetravellady.ca. Douglas Vermeeren is a Calgary-based author, speaker, and creator of the Certified Entrepreneur Coach Program, Doug's Business is to help people reach their goals and find success in whatever their passion may be. So perhaps the perfect guest to help us stay on track and motivated to actually stick to our New Year's resolutions this year. Good morning and Happy New Year to you, Doug. Hey, Andy. Good to be with you today. Thank you for taking the time with us. So let's, let's, let's get to the heart of the matter here. Resolutions, they're easy to set but hard to achieve for many. So, so why is that and, and what are we doing wrong, Doug? Well, I think the biggest thing when people set resolutions, they're not really thinking them through. And they're really kind of planning for, I guess, the immediate future and the things that they feel sort of uncomfortable in the immediate. And the reality is, is a lot of times those sort of knee-jerk reactions really don't create anything that we're super excited about or also that we're really committed to. So we've got to really look a little deeper when we're setting these resolutions. Okay, so when you say look a little deeper, I mean, I can pull up online but dozens and dozens of lists of the top 10 resolutions people set. Could, could the problem be trying to fit yourself into somebody else's resolution? I guess what I'm saying is how do we find what a good resolution is for ourselves? You know, I think that's a great way to actually look at it, too, because a lot of the lists that are out there, 
I suppose you could probably say that those are the same list that everybody says the resolutions that most people are failing at. And, and I think that that idea of authenticity to what we really want and our big why, we often hear, you know, once we find our why power, we get our willpower. And I think that that's a really important feature. But the real big thing I think that's kind of missing is if you look at all of those lists, very few of them really deal with long, long-term consequences. They're all kind of immediate fixes or band-aids. Remember, lose weight, uh, spend less money, you know, get out of debt this year, whatever it is. But the reality is those, those are all kind of symptoms of a deeper challenge. And when we can find out what the real roots are, then we can create the fruits. And I think that that's the, that's the real, I think that's missing is why is it our people really failing? And, you know, why can't, why can't we find something that's just really, really important to us? Because those are the changes that we really want to make. And, and that's what's going to take the time. Okay, Doug, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Yeah. Because you're looking long range and you're saying, let's not do knee-jerk reaction, instantaneous stuff. But when you talk long range, whether or not it's months or years from now where we want to be, I think human nature is we don't see a payoff soon enough, so we so we maybe lose interest. So how can we continue having that uh, that motivation and that passion, knowing that we're not going to see the fruits of our labor for months, if not years? Well, I think that this is maybe the, the, the mystery that most people get caught up in. The reality is, is you can start seeing results right away. I guess maybe a good example would be to kind of like look at it as a journey that you're taking by a car. If we know that we want to get to somewhere, like, mm-hmm. oh, heaven forbid, let's use the example of Edmonton, right? <laughs> <laughs> let's say that we want to get to Edmonton. Well, we can set little goals that, first of all, we know which direction we need to head into. Then we also know we're going to have to drive past Airdrie. So once we get there, that's kind of like a, a place to recognize some progress. We know that we need to get to Red Deer. Again, we can recognize progress. And I think that this is just it. People aren't really... You know, if they are looking at long-term, they scare themselves out of it because they think, oh, my gosh, it's such a drive, and it's so cold up in Edmonton right now, even colder than us. And so they just never get started. Whereas then what they should really be doing is looking at these little steps, things that will give them the ability to see where they're making that progress. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, if we even take the analogy, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes we hear this saying that people say, well, happiness is a choice. Well, the reality is, is there's a lot of bad choices that are out there that sometimes when people make them in the moment, they think they're doing the right thing. Mm. And so we've got to recognize that happiness actually isn't just a choice. It's being pleased with the consequences that arrive from that choice. Mm. And so if we make our decisions based on these outcomes that we really want, the ones that are really important, well, then we can also stay motivated. And like I said, we can recognize the progress as we're making it. Because, you know, success is not just a matter of ticking boxes. It's actually a matter of how you feel about it. One of my favorite quotes is from Stephen Covey, who said, most people climb the ladder of success only to find it's leaning against the wrong wall. So if we can figure out where we want to go first and how we'll feel about it, oftentimes we can find that power to get there. Yeah, we've got about a minute here, Doug, but I want to ask you, it seems to me, and I mean, uh, this is your your field, this is your wheelhouse, seems to me, though, that there's been so many coaches who've cropped up in the past five five years or so. Now, legitimate oh. legitimate coaches we're talking about, and you, you actually train coaches. Uh, Correct. So, so why is it important to reach out to a coach? Why do we need that? Well, I think any coach or mentor is important, and there is a difference between the two. But I think one of the biggest things is that a mentor coach can help us see things about ourselves that maybe we didn't yet recognize. And I do agree with you that I think it's important to find a a good coach, someone who can help us. And I'm going to say probably the easiest thing 
to solve that is do your research, but also find somebody that you resonate with and that understands what you're trying to accomplish rather than just kind of sell you a coaching program. Heaven forbid right now, there's a lot of people who are just fantastic marketers, but they're not really good masters at helping people get to where they are. So just make sure you do your due diligence and you've got to find the person that is going to be able to get you where you want to go. Excellent. We're going to direct people to douglasvermeeren.com, our certified entrepreneur coach. Dot com, And uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, happy New Year to you, sir. And Happy New Year to you guys. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you. That is uh, Doug Vermeeren, author, speaker, and creator of the Certified Entrepreneur Coach Program. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.